Hello, and welcome again to the official podcast of the Guitar Department at Berklee College of Music. My name's Ian, and today we are bringing you the second installment of our Stylistic Diversity webinars. We're joined this week by faculty members David Gilmore and Abby aronson Zosher. As before, the Dean of Admissions, Damian Bracken, co-hosted this webinar, along with the Guitar Department gang, Kim Perlack, Cheryl Bailey, and myself. As always, a lot of this content will also be available on YouTube, and we have a ton of other great content on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, so give us a like and a subscribe on whatever platform you use. Here's our Stylistic Diversity panel with Abby aronson Zosher and David Gilmore. I'm Kim Perlack. I'm the chair of the guitar department and uh, welcome to our second in our series on stylistic diversity. Um, we're here with Damian Bracken who's the Dean of Admissions. So hey Damian, thanks for having us. Um, we're with Ian Steed, our department coordinator. Hey Ian. Hey all. How you doing? Hi. Um, <laughs> Abby Aronson who is a professor of guitar. Hey Abby. Hi. And you're welcome. Thanks for being here. And David Gilmore, professor of guitar. Hey, David. Hey. Hey, thanks for being here. So um, part of um, having this series is to bring together faculty members from really different stylistic backgrounds. And um, have you talk about some of the things that you have in common, some of the things that you think are important for students to know. And then um, we have some students listening in real time and they're gonna have some questions for you as well. These, a lot of these people are folks who are um, thinking of coming here to Berkeley and wanna know what to expect. And so um, I just wanna start off by saying that I think one of the cool things that the two of you have in common, um, if you haven't listened to Abby and David, um, you really should go out and do that. So we're gonna give you some ways to do that. Um, we have a YouTube page that has a lot of uh, recordings on there. We're gonna put both of you on there featured as well as on our Instagram and Facebook. You can find us on all social media under Berkeley Guitar Department. And um, you can also hang with us um, and have a cup of coffee with each um, of these two great faculty members on our Coffee Talk series, which is like a podcast on YouTube, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So you'll be able to go pretty deep with them and you'll hear um, how unique they are in their styles. But one thing they have in common that's really cool um, is they've both played with a lot of other people, found their own sounds, playing with other people, and empowered people to find their own sounds. So David is one of the most versatile, like, sideman, I guess, for, for the lack of a better word, playing other people's music, playing from Wayne Shorter to pop acts like Joss Stone, all the way across the board and has found his ability to find his own sound that way. Abby does this in a, her group called Abby and Norm Group. And then also, Abby, you have helped many people find their own sound in different styles, like everybody from St. Vincent to the uh, folks in Big Thief, that group, and um, Molly Tuttle, and uh, many people have taken your labs and ensembles. So I think um, that might be a nice place to start. And so the first question, um, David, um, can you talk a little bit, like just, I guess, try to keep your answer kind of brief and we'll keep coming back around to it, but mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit about the way you worked on your musicianship to become a player that 
wants to play with other people and is great at it. Did did you always want to play with others? Um, yeah, I guess it was kind of, I don't know, more an unconscious thing in that I just grew up, you know, I grew up in the Boston area and, you know, um, 70s radio was a lot more diverse, you know, when you turn up on WRKO AM radio, they had all kinds of stuff across the spectrum from, you know, I mean, it was mostly a rock radio, but then, you know, I'd go to WILD and I'd hear R&B and, you know, that coupled with my parents' record collection that had classical, had jazz, it had uh, James Brown in there, There's all kinds of stuff. I was just bombarded by so many different influences. And so I couldn't help but, you know, be affected by that growing up. Um, so it wasn't really a conscious decision. At first, I liked all different styles of music, you know. And so um, as I got more into figuring out what I wanted to do musically, it just sort of you know, I, I guess I fell more into the jazz camp after a while. I became a jazz nerd in high school, and my teacher, John Baboyan, who's teaching here still, he, he basically got me uh, into jazz. You know, he, he taught music through jazz standards. So that was my introduction to that. And, um, and you know, Miles Davis was coming back at that time, so I heard Mike Stern on the radio. You know, I can remember the moment that happened. I heard this rock guitar on you know playing with Miles Davis and then I went back to my parents record collection and I discovered oh that's the same Miles Davis that played with Charlie Parker so all these you know pieces of the puzzle kind of came together and uh, and then you know fast forward I moved to New York and uh, I think my built-in eclectic tastes kind of melded with other people's eclectic I just sort of was drawn to those kind of artists and uh, Yet at the same time, I found myself, you know, still playing funk music um, while uh, honing my skills playing jazz and and other styles. So it just I always kept my foot in, you know, the sort of the the pop, uh, popular music and the jazz thing at, at the same time. So I've never I never jumped away from 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 funk and R and B and rock music. As a follow up to that. Do you have a sense of what some people might want to work on or think about if they want to be the person everybody calls? Because I think it's fair to say that you're a first call person. Everybody calls you and they call you across a bunch of different styles. So do you have a sense of what they're responding to in your playing or in the way that you are professionally? Uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of things are, are you know, obviously to be able to uh, have the right, you know, just on a, on a, uh, 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 you know, have the right tools. Basically, you know, I don't want to bring a an ES one seventy five to to a pop gig, right? I'm gonna have my strat. So you have to have the right tools for the for the job. Um, and then, you know, along with that comes, are you able to play those in a convincing way and to get the sound that you need out of those instruments? So uh, and that goes from anywhere from you know the right pick <laughs> you don't you don't do a thick pick when you're playing funk and you're strumming you know there's so many things that go into it on a technical level um on a personality level i believe you know you have to be open and not come in with the ego and try to say hey you know 
especially uh, well, well, with any situation, really, you know, it's it's you really just have to, um, as a side man, you're a side man, and you know, you're there to execute other people's music, you know. Uh, with jazz, it's a little different, you know. I'm usually called for, you know, because they know what I do on, on pop. I haven't done as much pop music, but it's I'm not as much of a name in pop music, so it's it's sort of a different thing, you know. Uh, but yeah, you have to bring the technical equipment, um, and then there's different playing styles uh, that go along with with each style, yeah, and, and and you have to learn that, you know. Um, yeah. So Abby, I, those people who really know you're playing know that you have really studied deeply in classical music and then jazz, and now you're bringing it together into styles that that are more pop related. And um, how did you come to that? Was that something that you always did? It was, well, I mean, I played classical violin from age five, but then, you know, the teens happened. And uh, at 13, you know, there was the Grateful Dead and, uh, you know, my poor parents and uh, a guitar was bought and that's what happened. So so right from the beginning, there was the whole singer-songwriter element. But my dad and mom very quickly got me to, you know, a classical program at Tanglewoods. <laughs> and, and it helped for a while, it really did. And, but now you can see, you know, it's like wearing your retainer, you know. I, I, I wasn't wearing it for a while, and, and but it's the most wonderful thing ever because now I feel like all the threads, personally for me in my life, have kind of come together and are working together in a great way. So, so similarly to David, um, I think you both are in styles in jazz and classical music that, because some people can seem closed off, right? They can seem like their own thing. And there are a lot of people in both styles that don't have this sort of, they're not known for being super open, but you both are. And um, Abby, can you talk about that for a minute? And can you talk about how that helps you see in someone who's going to be a player like Adrienne from Big Thief or, or someone like um, St. Vincent or Molly? You know, how does all of this translate for you in the way that you're able to sort of serve their music while you're helping them deepen? Just from uh, from the perspective of a classically trained person, um, a lot of the a lot of the pedagogical and musical um, uh, kind of practice processes and listening processes really, really translate beautifully. I, I know some of them don't, for instance, swing feel. <laughs> um, but, you know, there, there are some some things, you know, that, that are very style specific. But in terms of ensemble playing, in terms of the, the groove, um, there's a certain kind of groove and feel that, that the classical tradition uh, I found very helpful for ensemble coaching. Um, there's tone elements. There, there, there's a lot of real kind of overarching things that are listened to carefully in classical music that I think once someone also really has studied and appreciates other kinds of music, they link together beautifully. Um, like, for instance, uh, 
the, the element of groove not just being kind of like a train track that everybody hops on side by side parallel play but rather being something that like with a string quartet can even be created interactively the groove the, you know the rhythmic sense and i found sometimes people coming to the ensemble that's a great thing to work on with them like a drummer who's just kind of used to jumping in and playing and the and the groove happens and everybody just joins on as opposed to everyone really listening and kind of uh building it together more like a piece of chamber music um and that's a that's an interesting perspective that that isn't necessarily always the one that gets studied and worked on here and, and in terms of individual players um uh, the people you mentioned, they all were exactly what they are at the beginning. Um, it just, they, they, they grew it and they developed it. And I think at a, I, I know I used this metaphor before in the other podcast, but it always struck me as, um, those, uh, people that train lion cubs or not train but uh, raise lion cubs and they're uh, they're really big at first the the trainer and uh, the lion club's really little and the lion cub can make use of many things that the person can offer um, whereas then you know a couple of years down the line they reunite the the trainer and the lion cub who's now this like huge <laughs> uh, presence beautiful fully realized person or well lion doing <clears throat> all of these things in their lionness that was really always there all along but i think there is a value when people are are developing and and uh being heard by other people uh and playing with other people and hearing themselves and wondering you know Hmm, what am I doing? I think there's a value to being seen and uh, by someone who's listening. Seen by someone who's listening. Listen to by someone who's seeing and seen by someone who's, you know, so to be, <laughs> I'm getting myself into a thing here, but you get what I mean. It's, it's really listening. So I do try, I try to listen and I try to see. And I think then you have opportunities to offer people uh really really wonderful young artists um things that they like i used to say adrienne uh, you could give her something i uh, there was this story about um bees that well there was this uh, apiary and the bees started all of a sudden the honey started ending up being like really bright colors and they were like what is going on here like they had blue honey and pink honey and all this stuff. And then they found out that the um, there was an M&M factory near the apiary, <clears throat> excuse me. And um, it always struck me like that, like giving uh, Adrienne, you know, if she was working on Bob Dylan or, you know, you could hear it, but it was definitely her, you know? Um, uh, and I wasn't the one who turned around to Bob Dylan, but just that that example struck me is that you can hear these influences that if you if you can offer these young people things that maybe they haven't heard before or haven't really thought about a lot before, then they they study them and they internalize them and wonderful things come out as a result of that in their own work. You know, they're they're 
you know, so it's nice to be able to offer them things that they have, like offering singer songwriters. Most of them haven't listened to classical leader. Right. Um, and, uh, it's just mind blowing. Of course you get sting. He's doing his whole John Dowell and thing, which is wonderful. Um, but you've got a singer songwriter who is incredibly popular back in Shakespeare's time. Mm-hmm. And he's one of us, you know? Right. So it's neat to be able to show people these things and have them, have them, uh, have it resonate with them. That's great. I like that. Um, David, I think a lot of people who are coming to Berkeley are hoping that one day they'll be out and they'll be able to play with other people, but they'll also be able to be leaders of um, their own work. And, and you are a band leader as well of your own projects. And um, could you talk a little bit about maybe the different mindset or different approach you take um, when you're in either of those two roles? Uh, well, uh, yeah, I mean, I was just thinking is, you know, Sabi was talking like fearlessness is really, really important. <laughs> you know, uh, and when we talk about styles, you know, uh, there is such a, a pull to play a certain way, especially when you're studying, you know, which is great. You need to study different styles and different, uh, the, histor- the history, you know, uh, and, and chronology of, of whatever style you're, you're, you're dealing with in jazz and, and funk music. Um, but at some point, those things are going to coalesce into something. You're going to start hearing things, you know? And I've had students who have been afraid to, you know, they're hearing something, but they're afraid to do it because they feel like, well, that's not right. I shouldn't stomp on a distortion box while I'm playing uh, jazz standards, for example, you know, even though it's been done already many times, <laughs> you know, John Schofield and Mike Stern on these guys have, have long proven that you're allowed to do that. It's okay. Um, you can rock out and jazz out at the same time. And so, but you have to have a certain level of fearlessness when it comes to creating something uh, of your own. So as a leader, um, that definitely is more of a, a comes more into play, you know, because you're, you know, ideally you're probably composing music and putting that out there. And, um, you just have to have this sense of, uh, you know, it may not be perfect. Uh, it may not be up to your standards, uh, but it's an evolutionary process, you know, and it's not something you can say, okay, I'm fully realized now this is what I'm going to present, you know, and, you know, I, I suffered from that for a long time. I didn't put out, you know, a solo project for a long time because I was sort of like, oh, do this, do that. At a certain point, you got to say, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm going to do, you know, and just throw it out there and know that it's not going to be up to your, you know, perfection standards. But the only way to get there is through the process, you know. You can't just wait one day and then, you know, and that's it you know having said that you know i i also feel there's people who are doing stuff too too early <laughs> at the same time you know and there's a lot of artists out there you know that there's you know they're pushing artists really 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 young who aren't quite ready so you know only you can tell so you just have to really be your own critic and 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 you know just feel like it, you know nothing should be forced you know this is music we should have fun doing what we do it's a creative process and 
being creative beings, it can be frustrating and and rewarding at the same time. So we just really have to, to me, it's just a life lesson of not um, being hard on yourself, you know, and just really, you know, as a, as a leader, just have faith, have strength and, and confidence uh, and know that you're going to make mistakes, you know, and as a sideman, of course, you know, uh, it's, it's the same thing. It's a learning process. I learned a lot when I graduated from, from NYU. Uh, I learned more on the bandstand than I could, ever could have learned in school, you know, in, in, in ensembles and, uh, and also about the business and all that stuff. So, um, and it was, you know, some very embarrassing moments. I remember bringing some charts in and they were not written quite correctly in certain spots, you know, and, uh, you know, I got, you know, shamed uh, in rehearsal, but in, in a very, you know, loving kind of way, tough love kind of situation, you know, from, from uh, fellow musicians, but it made me correct things a lot quick, more quickly, you know. Uh, so, you know, you just you have to go in there with certain humility, whether it's a sideman, whether it's a leader and, you know, and put yourself out there. You know, it is, you know, as a leader, it is definitely maybe a little more daunting, you know, because there's more pressure on you, you know, uh, and uh, and it's such a, you know, it can be such a competitive industry, you know, and uh, and the expectations for you to do something uh, are high. And um, but only again, it's like you have to be self-reflective. Is that what you really want to do or is that what society and people and your colleagues are telling you, you got to do your own thing, man, you got to do your own thing. Well, maybe you're not ready for it, you know? So, you know, it's just really, I look at it as, you know, you just have to just not be too hard on yourself. And, and, but at the same time, if you have that drive and that desire to be a leader at a certain point, you just have to, you know, make a, make a, a leap to that, in that direction, knowing that it's a process that's going to unfold over, over time. David, when you work on all of these projects, clearly there's a time factor. There's a time mm -hmm. situation. And when you're looking and working with students who want to be able to do similar things, what are the fundamentals of like fretboard knowledge and practicing and, and musicianship and technique or however you think of it? What are fundamental things that you think cross all the stylistic like what are the, what becomes your core in your mind um oh wow i mean modes you know scales all all of that um all that we study here um uh, arpeggios all those things are you know applicable across all styles of music and uh you know obviously some modes like you know are used more in jazz, like melodic minor, than say some pop music. But if you're getting into R&B and gospel and things like that, which borrows from jazz harmony, then you got to know that stuff, you know. Um, so you know all all the basic uh, fretboard harmony knowledge and uh, is applicable across the board. And uh, I think uh, everyone owes them. You know, whenever I have a student here that. You know, I usually teach from a jazz perspective and teach standards as a vehicle uh, to teach all of these techniques and, and theory and everything. And a lot of times those, I know my students not really a jazz person, you know, um, but I just tell them, look, if you can do if you can play this, <laughs> 
you can play anything, you know, not necessarily stylistically, but at least in terms of knowledge. If, if they see a major seven sharp five, you know, one day, they're not going to freak out, you know, they're going to know what it is, right? So that's, I just implore them to, you know, stretch their boundaries a little bit. Don't say, oh, I'm never going to use this, so I'm not going to learn it. Just, you know, learn it. You have the opportunity, uh, the resources, and, you know, you never know when that comes across, you know, one day, you know? Um, Abby, what about you? Um, I think maybe go backwards. Like, what's your core uh, in terms of what you really believe is essential that crosses boundaries for you? Um, I think things that have to do with with ensemble skills, like we were talking about, ensemble playing and ensemble listening, but also um, phrasing and um, it, it, a, a lot of kind of musical expression. Um, people, um, and, and I love, David, what you were saying about the, the style uh, when people come in and they're 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 really just thinking, well, I'm not going to do this because it's in a certain style and this is not the style I'm interested in. But there are concepts in every style when it's done well that are bigger than the style, and uh, it, it it reminds me of of you know kids that learn that think they're only going to learn from other kids that are exactly their same age as opposed to learning from a little child that they have to play with one day or a older person who's doing a, a task that they watch them doing and who talks with them you know um these big things really make you a richer player and person but in terms of phrasing um uh the overarching concepts um when people are playing, say, fingerstyle stuff, which has a lot of voices, um, uh, and that's something we're doing in uh, my, uh, the repertoire and performance class with uh, Berta Rojas, uh, talking about how lute was really an important part of uh, the development of polyphony, and also all the guitar players' right hand technique. You know, we went from single line thumb under and then it then the wrist started to bend and we had more fingers to deal with you know anyway so we have more lines but a lot of these guitar players in any style are doing interesting contrapuntal lines uh, many voices within their guitar part um, whether it's an accompaniment part or a um, solo guitar thing and when they listen say for instance to the voices separately it's really clear um, they love their own compositions even more or the compositions they're playing uh you know um you can actually think about you know the the, the bass line has its own personality and it has its own melody and there's lines in the middle and there's like a uh we were just listening in in rep class you know there's a spot where there's a minor second in two of the voices and uh, you can hear how they come together and then how they leave if you know both of them and it's really easy to kind of know it but not to really be able to go in and play or sing each line separately and really hear that and once you do that you really play it in a very different way and you interpret it in a different way 
um, just as if I was talking with a certain tone of voice, like if I was talking about this now and you weren't really sure if I meant it or cared about it because I was just kind of talking about it. And, um, but I was saying the same words and lines, but there wasn't really a whole lot of, you know, engagement or meaning in the phrases as opposed to if I said it and I really not overacted in a fake way, but tried to put real meaning that I really felt into the feel of how I'm expressing the words I'm saying. You know, you can do that with a phrase too. In fact, the phrases are often the same shapes as verbal phrases, you know? You know, that leads me to the question I wanted to ask both of you and maybe Abby first is um, about sound development. Um, so many people say like, I have this dream to develop my own sound and so much about developing your tone is working on your physical hands. Like David was saying, even just the, the idea of what pick you use or, you know, mm -hmm. for us uh, as fingerstyle people, what do you use nails and, and understanding your amplifiers and how they work. And um, I wanted to introduce this by saying that um, we all played a faculty concert a couple weeks ago and um, Ian and Cheryl and I are going to get that up on uh, YouTube soon so you can hear it um, if you hadn't, if you weren't able to catch the live stream. But in the sound check, um, we were sound checking the nylon string guitars first and there was a whole situation with the amps with yeah. this one yeah. guitar that Abby was playing was so bright and it really took like, okay, calm down. We're going to find out how to, you know, cause your sound was beautiful, but then the amp wasn't helping. So we had to go and really get in there. And then, um, the other thing I noticed for, on David's end is he was playing with Cheryl Bailey and, um, the way that your sound came across, particularly David, when you were comping. And you were making this decision to make your chords really short, but they were all the same length. And they were like, and, and rhythmically they fit exactly what you were doing, but you're, the way you controlled, not just your tone, but the shape of your note and your relative dynamics. And when you were able to set that as a pattern and then break from it as you changed your phrasing and changed whether or not you were playing the melody line or coming back to the to the har harmonic parts. And um, I would like both of you to talk about a little bit of how you work on the physical aspects of your sound, if you wouldn't mind. Just Even just a minute would be great. Abby, what, what about you? Um, sound, well, I just have to say the ends of the notes, that's like the, that's like the, the untraveled country that, that, that is like the, the, where the magic is. It's the ends of the notes. It's the way they connect to the next note and it's also the length you choose to make it. And it's exactly what you were saying about what David was doing. And um, for instance, there's the whole thing, Kim, you showed me the best example of this passage of tone concept um, where, you know, one note leads to another and what happens in that synapse, in that transition. Um, uh, and you had the best example of it, which is the Indiana Jones little movie clip where he's exchanging the golden idol for a sandbag. That's how two notes, and it has to be just right. And of course he doesn't do a good enough job and suffers the consequences. And we have to all remember that. No, um, but, um, uh, uh, get tough. Everyone yeah. gets tough. There the could be over if, if, if you don't yeah. actually make the note completely, you know, roll right into the next note. It was a um, trap where the poison darts will start to come at you. Exactly. And, 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 and you You're might not. Teaching technique. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, we learned that from the from the Raiders of the Lost Ark, and you, you should all watch that movie. There's it's a it's a it's a trap, and it, and you have to he has to take the golden idol and put the sandbag, and and if 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 it can feel that there's been a displacement or a break yes. in your tone, so to speak, yeah, then all of the things come at yeah. you, and so he so, has to take off the idol and replace it with a sandbag seamlessly so that the surface underneath doesn't feel any change and that's like switching notes so that's like that has to do everyone thinks of the beginning of their note but that has to do not just with the beginning of the next note but with the end of the first note we're going to talk about breathing and relaxing when you play next <laughs> <laughs> um, david what about you what's what's a, a minute of advice about working yeah. on your sound yeah, well, I was just breathing and relaxing. I was actually just going to say, like, you know, um, a lot of what affects uh, people's tones uh, detrimentally, that's a word, is uh, is uh, tension. And, you know, particularly when you're in a solo and you're getting excited and more and more excited and you start playing harder and things just start to uh, fall apart sound-wise. So being relaxed um and really focusing on the production of sound uh is is really we talked about this before like you know there there there's you know and and it's not something that uh, i feel like a lot of jazz guitar players you know, just talked about them in particular have really worked on to be honest with you uh some it just happens naturally but um they're they're now I, i've really been focusing on that personally and trying to convey that to to students who i feel they come in and they just have a, a harsh, brittle type of sound. If that's what they're going for, that's cool. But uh, nine times out of 10, I don't think that's what they're really going for. They just don't know how to fix it. And again, it comes down to mechanics, you know, pick um, the setup on the guitar, you know, you really have to get rid of the buzz stuff going on and all that. But also the, the tension in your hands and how you're placing placing um, you know your hands on the and striking the strings and so you know I'm I still go through periods where I really have to analyze how I'm playing a passage and how that affects uh, the sound how I'm playing it and um, you know really practicing scales not just getting the notes right but getting the sound right from one note to the other you know legato um, staccato that kind of stuff um, and just real briefly um, what you were saying about um, uh, last week and, and comping and stuff um, you know everybody has a certain technical style to comping I guess uh, so I tend to play more hybrid with with a pick and, and fingers here as opposed to and sometimes I do kind of do a strumming thing but I, I, I end up getting more of a kind of a rhythmic percussive type of thing going on um, a little more precise type of thing, and especially in a duo situation where I want to kind of have a balance of a bass register with chords and stuff like that, and and rhythm at the same time. So, um, trying to create this like rhythmic kind of backdrop sort of thing that I, that I've developed, and uh, so that's a technique thing, and it's also a you know just a, a thing I've heard over the years that I try to do when when I'm accompanying uh, someone. David, how do you get the pick to balance with your fingers when you can't, like the pick is plastic, right? And your fingers, mm -hmm. you can feel the string. So how do you 
How do you balance the weight so that you get a consistent sound across the chord voicing? Um, just through, you know, it, it's obviously two different directions. You're you're striking down as you're pulling up at the same time. So you just want to, I guess, practice doing that continually, uh, you know, while you're playing your chords and compare that to doing it just with your hands, you know? Sometimes, right. occasionally I'll drop the pick. I'm not good, I'm not good at doing this. Uh, some people are able to cup the pick and do all fingers like that. Um, I usually put it in my mouth and then use all, you know, five fingers here. But a lot of times I just want to have that access. So I'll, I'll just use, use a, you know, that kind of thing. And try to get a balance. Do you ever feel like the pick comes out too loud or are you just able to use your ear to balance the weight? Yeah, no, pretty much even at this point, I think, you know. If it does, you know, again, like the, the bass string is, is being hit with the pick. So I almost want that to be a little more powerful, you know, and I'll juxtapose the bass line with, with the chord, you know, so it'll be almost like, uh, you know, not always played at the same time. Right. Yeah. Um, Abby, my question for you about this is I think like to David's point where sometimes jazz players don't think about their tone maybe because they're always improvising and playing different things mm -hmm. and he's using the scales to get them to play something consistent. How mm -hmm. do you help people who are used to interpreting music control their tone when they're improvising? That's a good question. Um, I'm not sure it it's I'm not sure it's come up for me in exactly that way. I, I'm not sure that I've found someone who has good tone when they're playing something composed and they're interpreting it, and then they'd improvise and they wouldn't have good tone. I feel like it kind of kind of carries over it. But I'm sure I'll be proven wrong. <laughs> but, right, because it, you know, I think that's a fear, though, that's good to know. Because I think what yeah. you're both saying is when you really work on your tone, you internalize this. And, and, and one, thing, one thing that occurs to me is what, when um, we were talking before, David was talking, you were talking about um, the, the evolution of it mm -hmm. and the fact that it's a, you know, taking joy in the journey of it and in the repetition of it. And... Mm -hmm. David, you were talking about balancing, you know, the different uh, aspects of your right hand technique in terms of making one part out of a pick and your fingers and everything. If you think of the when when students come into it, um, if they can, I mean, when you imagine the amount of repetitions uh, and evolution over years that's made that a perfect mix and made it second nature. Um, you know that that's really that that if we could all just enjoy that evolutionary process it, um i'm not sure it's entirely human nature we probably have to try a little bit but um but it feels really good and it works best for the technique to actually think of it that way because if you think of it if you're knitting or if you're making cookies and you want them all to be the same size or if you're knitting like same or if you're like making little things like let's say you were trying to make like snowman out of clay if you if you made a hundred of those little snowmen, you know balls, they would start to really look uniform, you know, mm -hmm. and you'd be in control of 
of what you were doing. But it's 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 that repetition. It's relaxed repetition. Or, I, I, yeah. I think that's important because I think a lot of people have this, there's a bit of a myth that if you're, you just have to be expressive and whatever comes through you, comes through you. And, mm-hmm. and where there's a component of that, the, the idea of really knowing what you're, what you're doing and internalizing it and paying attention to how you're breathing and repeating things so that you, it internalizes into your system is, is the way to go. Um, and that gives you this freedom to be creative. Yeah, um, Ian is with us, and I want to ask you, Ian. So Ian is um, the most recent alum in the in the group, um, and I, I want to hear about what you're thinking about Ian um, as you're listening to Abby, yeah. Abby and Dave. You know, I uh, you know both Abby and David. You both play pretty diverse styles, just yourself, and then of course having the both of you here covers a lot. Um, and as somebody who kind of came through Berkeley, playing it a, a lot of different styles and sort of bouncing around between things, I'm curious as to like what your experience has been teaching somebody who might not even fi- fall under the styles that you yourself are sort of at home in. And like, I guess, kind of bring it back to some of those like um, things that are consistent across styles. And like, how do you deal with somebody who might be like, well, I'm actually into like, you know, Indian classical music or something or whatever it is. But like, there's there's things obviously that you're still gonna be a really good teacher for them. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, trying to think of some situations where that's been the case. And, and, and I've, I, there's always some commonality there to find, you know, um, you know, Let's say, for example, like a Indian classical. I don't know. You know, I'll, I'll pick out a modal tune, you know, and we'll, we'll talk about modes and we'll talk about what we can play over this static kind of harmony thing going on, as opposed to all these crazy changes. I, I don't throw giant steps at every student, believe me. <laughs> so, uh, so you know, uh, and I, very often that's what I concentrate on uh, are tunes that uh, stylistically fit to what they might be into you know jam band stuff or whatever it is rock um i'll just try to try to do that and um yeah and it's it's really just uh trying to find that the commonality of music with that that crosses styles and and there's there's a lot of that you know and then um i don't tell them you know switch from the neck pickup to the bridge pickup you're killing my ears <laughs> you know they want to have that you know as long as the volume is controlled you know they can have that that sound and 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 approach it from that that viewpoint but uh i think uh you know Ellington said there's only two types of music good and bad <laughs> and, and you know and those are the two categories i i think about when i think about music that's it and uh you know styles are you know, what? what is when people say, I don't like jazz, for example, that's the most funny statement I've ever heard, because it's like, what is jazz? Is yeah, it not a style. It's 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 a it's an attitude. It's a you know, it's it's an open ended attitude toward life and music. And so and it borrows from you know Eastern classical music and and uh, Western classical music and and, you know, uh, Negro spirituals and everything all, you know, so it, it's it's all good. I love I love it when a student comes in with a totally different kind of uh, approach and, and style of music. 
um, they usually come to me because they want to learn some aspect of jazz. So they're open to that, you know. If they're not open to that, then it's probably not the best match, you know, and, and we discover that early on. But, you know, I, I try to keep it open-ended. Uh, I don't try to push uh, any particular style on anybody and just find, find the commonality that makes sense. I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Um, well, like Abby, for example, like you taught Molly Tuttle, right? Who has a right hand that's, yeah. you know, opposite okay. from what you do, you know? Like she's got this heavy, right, free floating flat picking technique. And yet you, right. you know. Well, she, we had a good time. We worked on, um, we did work on a Bach suite and there were all kinds of fingering issues and slurs and then thinking about everything. How do you finger a passage? That's that kind of thing with improvisation versus figuring out the best way to possibly play a particular line um, to make it sound the way you want it to sound. And then we also did, she did for, I can't believe I remember all this. Um, she did for one exam, she, we did the head to Donna Lee because that's a whole other so, uh, kind of style of notey passage um and she can certainly play the notey passages you know so we just tried some other textures like that and then also um and swing feel is its own thing you know uh its own aesthetic and thing uh and then we also worked on oh we did a lot of uh in the ensemble the Joni mitchell uh things but w what we did is like one semester we didn't have a drummer one semester we did one semester we worked with upright bass we had a lot of different, and we had banjo in there too. Really wonderful banjo player, um, Allison DeGroote. Um, and um, anyway, so we put together the, the the heads of the tunes in all kinds of different ways, and we did them literally, and then we didn't do them literally. Um, and yeah, and that's what we worked on. I, th I think I think that the phrasing stuff really always overarches. Um, with the with the especially with people that are playing uh guitar parts with many voices but even even if it's just a, a melody line um it's often easy to forget you know that a line can keep on going and keep on building until it reaches a conclusion you know so you know sometimes i have to think about that whenever i'm working on a piece when you get past the technical stage of anything uh where you're putting together Legos, you know, and then, uh, and then you've got ball bearings all in a row, and then you kind of start to make it into a, a, uh, a journey of different, you know, and, and something that moves forward towards certain goals that make sense. Everybody. Yeah, I like what you refer to too, because I think um, another part of what you do so beautifully is that you're a, an arranger, and so the openness that both of you are describing really feeds into what you see as possibilities in arranging and um, hopefully that carries over to the students um, and I think this all feeds into a question I, I want to make sure we have some time for um, that that has been asked about preparing for auditions mm. and I think that's obviously on everybody's mind that comes to all these webinars and and um, everyone we talk to is thinking about this and I think um, just as an introduction of that 
what we really want is for people to come into the audition and play something that they feel comfortable with. So we want you to play what you feel like, you know, five minutes that shows the faculty who are listening to you that you feel comfortable with your playing at this stage, mm -hmm. that things are fluid, that we can hear your phrasing, that we can hear your musicianship. Um, stay away from this feeling that I have to play a specific thing in order to get a great grade or a yeah. great number or a great opportunity for a scholarship because it really comes down to how well and how deeply you play what you choose mm -hmm. and um, and not about what you think someone wants to hear because the truth is is what they want to hear is you right and when you play for five minutes even if you think oh it's not impressive because it's not super fast or it's not really heady we hear all the depth that you bring to it mm -hmm. that's what we hear and um, I know that both Abby and David are going to back me up on this, and so is Damien, but it really is right away. And when you come in, the way you unpack your cable, if you have a cable, the way you set up your footstool, if you have a footstool, the way you just sit down with the guitar, you can already tell because you have that presence that David was talking about earlier um, where it's not an ego situation. Um, you, you've chosen something that you could be relatively comfortable given the situation that it's a high pressure situation and that we hear you and you're going to have a lot of time um, the Berkeley auditions are the longest auditions I've ever seen in any school I've been to they're 20 minutes um, and so you come in and everyone welcomes you who's there it's usually like two or three people who are there usually two a team of two faculty and they may or may not play your instrument and they're gonna ask you to set up give you a little time to set up you know, bring the stuff that's easy to set up. Don't bring 10 pedals. You don't need 10 pedals. You're only playing for five minutes. You do, we just want to hear your sound. doesn't matter to us about the pedal. And, you know, get your sound on the amp if you use an amp. And then play your piece. And then you're going to have some fun after that. Um, might not sound like fun right now when I'm describing it, but it's going to be fun. <laughs> um, where they're going to ask you to read a little bit. We'll talk about reading. Um, it's reading because you get it in advance when you arrive at the audition site. Um, and Ian knows, um, we're going to tell you, we also have resources on our YouTube page so you can practice ahead of time um, for reading. And then they're going to ask you to improvise. And you can generally choose if you want to play over a mode or if you want to play over a blues. There's guidelines that we send out that Damien's team sends out so you know what that is. And then there's some ear training games like clap back these rhythms, see if you can find this pitch on your instrument and play this series of notes that I'm going to play, like a playback. And honestly, all they, they want to see is, are you willing to dive in, especially if it's unfamiliar to you? Mm -hmm. You know, are you willing, like, can you go with the flow? Because at Berkeley, there's so many different things that we want you to get involved in. And, and if you're the type of person that you can get yourself to get the courage up to jump in and try things, then that tells us that you're gonna be able to take real advantage of all the resources at Berkeley. And so we're looking, you know, is it a good time for you? Is it a good fit for you to come to this kind of environment? And um, basically we want you to come in and, and uh, we wanna trick you into just being yourself by being there for a long time and having fun with you while you're there. It is actually a good time, I mean, um, Abby, what would you suggest to people who are preparing for auditions? Do you have specific advice, like maybe um, like your, your 30 second pitch? Yeah, I mean, uh, what, just one thing that comes to mind uh, often is uh, when you're in the audition, um, 
uh, they may just keep asking you questions until you don't know something, just to kind of see how far you've gotten. So, so don't feel if you get to a point where you don't know something that they've asked you, don't feel that that means you have done a bad job. Uh, just you know, keep asking until you know you don't know, <laughs> and that's fine because that that may be what happens with everybody. They may just keep asking until they hit that point because um, they're trying to get a sense of exactly what you've done. And um, I think I think just what you were saying, Kim, about coming and letting us hear you, something that something that you you're everyone is here because they have a they're having a, a, a quest, you know, a spirit quest with music uh, or some kind of quest with music. And a, anything that kind of uh, hits you in that spot, anything that has drawn you to music and, and represents kind of what you do and who you who you feel like you are at that time. So, David, what, what do you think? Gosh, you guys said it all pretty much. <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, yeah, don't don't feel like you should know this and should know that like you know to just you know what you know at that point and that's why you're coming here and i've said that in auditions to students like oh that's what you're here for to learn so you know don't worry if you don't know about the modes the most important thing is the music you know that you bring at that audition and uh you know just know that there's plenty uh, of musicians out there who the professionals you know uh legends who couldn't read music and didn't know a mode if they came across one in the street, actually, because they don't think that way. They just <laughs> learned music. And that's it's it's a language, you know, um, they just may have been illiterate, so to speak. You know, there's people who are brilliant orators that can't read a book. OK, mm -hmm. same same thing. So just express yourself, find the best thing that 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 does that a piece that you like. Um, on a technical level, make sure, like, you know, your guitar is tuned. <laughs> uh, you've got a good night of sleep, very important. And, uh, and uh, you have your pedals ready to go if you got pedals and not fiddling around because that just adds to the whole, you know, nervousness and everything of it. So just come in there, you know, re even rehearse your setup, you know, just make things as smooth as possible. And, you know, go in there and, and really have a well-rehearsed uh, piece of music ready to go. That's a great point. I had a teacher who had us, every time we played, you had to come in and, and just like rehearse your setup four times, mm -hmm. you know, and, and just do it over and over again and practice like, yeah. you know, like walking in, walking in. and, and yeah. setting up and sitting down and play and just see like, like what's the timing? Like, right. too it's fast. not the same as going to a gig, you know, and setting up. It's a, it's, we don't go to auditions every day, so it's a totally right. different thing. It's like you gotta, you gotta be ready to do it. Yeah, and like putting a recording device on when you do it, like gives that little edge of like, whoa, it really all. I know it sounds silly, but you hit record on your phone, and it feels like yes, really doing it. And you know, I completely agree with everything you both said. And and I want to say, um, that being said, if if you have time before your audition why not take a look at some of the reading you know what i mean why not take a look at some of the resources that we have and because and why not look at some of the modes we have we have this book that's coming out in january through berkeley press that's like a whole prep for for our core curriculum on the guitar which we call the proficiencies um go to your teacher in the meantime if you're auditioning before january and 
and uh, or get in touch with us in the guitar department. We'll direct you to our resources and and try some of those scales in moto. Um, you're never going to lose by knowing more about the fretboard and knowing more about um, how to read music because they're all tools. They're like tools of our trade and that's why you're coming to school. So I would say dig in there as much as you can. And then when the time comes, David is right, on the day, you just have to have faith in what you're doing. Yeah. Before the day is a good time to to go deep as deep as you can and just like don't feel insecure about writing to one of us, write to me in the guitar department and say, I was at the webinar or I heard you on YouTube and I, I want to see where those resources are. Um, because we're honestly really here to help. I mean, we really have this big guitar community and, um, and you know, we're not hiding any of the resources. We want you to come and, and be a part of that. Um, Damien, what do you think? Because you're starting to go all over the world now, almost as we speak, you're starting to travel. Um, are there things that you see just in this last few minutes that we have that, that you think would be helpful? I, I think you, you need to think about <clears throat> coming to your audition and interview with a sense of authenticity really show us who you are as as an aspiring artist and and like david and and abby said it's you know nobody is perfect we all have you know rough edges in in some areas so don't expect that you're just going to know everything that's asked of you and it's not about that it's about us getting to know you as a an aspiring artist and frankly about you getting to know us and our approach to to teaching. Um, so I think that's my, you know, it's, we hear all the time like, oh, should I play this kind of tune or should I play that kind of tune? The kind of tune you should play is the one that you love and that you know you can express really, really well because that's what will come through to the audition team, regardless of style of music. Yep. That's so right. We don't have an audition repertoire list. No, we do not. It might be Deliberate. the only school in the world that does not have one because right. you create that. And that's, and, and that is, it's not a trap. It's, it's an invitation, right? Um, so in the last couple of minutes, um, before we sign off today, um, David, do you have any final thoughts or advice for, for the students listening? Um, you know, be open-minded to, to uh, music, to sound, and 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 don't think uh, in in categories. You know, again, like I said, there's two categories: good and bad music, and that's all subjective. So, you know, I I just feel like you know in this world today we're 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 too. Uh, in our own camps, right? <laughs> so, you know, we we need to to move back to more of a cohesive, you know, when I grew up, like I was saying earlier in the beginning, like, you know, 70s radio, <laughs> you know, where where you would you would hear a fusion piece and, and a rock piece and, and, and a jazz piece on the same radio station, you know, um, you know, just be open mind, you're here to discover, you know, and, and just, just have your ears wide open and, you know, and, and uh, to creativity and that's that's what we're here for to discover new things so just be open-minded i think that's a beautiful thought to end on and um 
Thank you, David Gilmore. Thank you, Abby Aronson Zosher. Thank you, Ian Steed. And thanks, uh, Damian Bracken. Thank you all for being here. Um, and we hope that we see you soon. Thank you, Kim. Thanks, everybody. All right. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, take care. Ciao. Bye-bye.